Father Daniel Berrigan once said, the gift we can offer others is so simple a thing as hope. Welcome to the 16th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because we have to hold the hope for the hopeless. We have to show everyone their dignity and worth when they are feeling absolutely worthless. It's a simple gift, but giving it to everyone we meet can change the world. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, Angela stopped by to ask, could you speak to how you find your Catholic faith influences your approach to work as a therapist? Thanks for sending this one in, Angela. I've touched on this a few times in the past, so let me try and get right down to it. I work for a local government mental health system, so when it comes to faith, it can feel a bit like a barren wasteland at times. That being said, with cultural competency being of the utmost importance, the topic of faith does come up from time to time if the person seeking help brings it to the table. Topics like prayer or questions like why would God do this to me come up pretty regularly, and the idea of faith and heaven and hell comes up frequently when it exploring suicidal thoughts with folks. But again, this only really happens when spirituality and faith is something they bring to the table. While it may not come out as explicitly Catholic, my faith has a huge influence on my approach to therapy, and it really comes down to a couple of crucial ideas. The dignity of the person no matter what, the idea that life is always worth living, and the idea that community and relationships are keys towards achieving wellness. These crucial ideas, which come directly from our faith, drive nearly every conversation in mental health because they get at the core of who we are, what we are made for, and as a result, they frequently get attacked by depression, anxiety, and other mental health symptoms. But therapy has to right these wrongs. It has to be focused on the dignity, value, and worth of every single person, independent of their abilities, their symptoms, or their need to take medication. It has to be focused on the fact that life is worth living. It doesn't cease to have meaning when we're depressed, feeling suicidal, or unable to go to work. Even though the thought that life isn't worth living can be so overwhelming at times, the therapist has to hold the hope for the hopeless. And lastly, it has to be focused on the need for community, the need for relationships, the need for all of us to be saved or find healing in relation to each other. We can't do it alone. We were never meant to. Next, we have Sandra checking in. I have drifted away from the church in the last 10 years or so, but want to come back into communion. What's the best way to start to come back to the church after years of what feels like sin and estrangement? How can someone like me overcome their shame and nervousness and take steps to do this? And again, what's the first step? This is so cool. Let's play, pray for Sandra uh, and thank God for her interest in returning to the church and for that of everyone else who feels and wants to respond to that pull. pull. How, how cool is this, you guys? Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. 
So I don't want to pretend that I'm some kind of theologian or church expert kind of guy, but I think the answer is to go to confession. At least I'm pretty sure that would be step one. One thing I found really cool based on St. Francis de Sales' recommendation that you might find helpful after 10 years away is what he referred to as a general confession, one where you spend a bit of time sitting down and trying to go back over everything you can remember and making a list. In my case, it was a really long list, but just trying to clear everything out. And remember, if you don't remember something, it's okay. God forgives all of your sins through the sacrament so long as you're not purposely hiding something. I'll admit, It's intimidating and nerve-wracking, and when I finished my gigantic list, the priest simply said, wow, which at first was off-putting, but he followed it up with something that helped me and hopefully will help you too. He said, wow, and then he paused, which left me sweating. But then he said, imagine after all that, you're here getting back with God, drawing closer to him and wanting to walk with him the rest of your life. How incredibly beautiful is that? And it is. And, and, and it, it was, it is, it's just incredible, right? Perhaps you could kick things off by reading and meditating on the gospel parable of the prodigal son. We just heard it at mass last Sunday and boy, is it inspiring to hear what God thinks of us returning after a lifetime away. We'll be praying for you. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today I'm here to introduce you to St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi. Born into a noble family in 1566 France, Catherine de Pazzi learned to meditate at the age of nine thanks to the family's confessor and made her first communion at the early age of 10. She entered the Carmelite convent at 16, so she's already got me beaten. I'm 37. She got super sick and was so near death that she was allowed to make her profession of vows early in a private ceremony that was immediately followed by a two-hour ecstasy. She recovered and had similar ecstasies after receiving communion for the next 40 mornings. Her confessor asked her to document her ecstasies, which ended up filling five large volumes, and her holiness led to her being able to predict the future, bilocate, and cure tons of sick people. In all of this, however, she experienced intense spiritual dryness and was plunged into a state of darkness, feeling like everything around her, including she herself, was just horrible. After enduring intense physical and spiritual suffering, she died at the age of 41 and was canonized 62 years later. I can't get enough of saints who battled this empty spiritual feeling and even worse. They really show me that we can carry on because he carries on within us. And no matter how lonely, hopeless, or awful we feel, we can keep going because he keeps going down to this present moment. We like to close this part of the podcast out with a prayer, so here we go. O humble soul, whom the Lord blessed with mystical elevations to his heavenly presence, you who remained so faithful through all trials and encouraged others to seek such perfection as well, pray that this proud age which leans so distinctly from the truth, from the love of God, will be consumed as you were by the Holy Spirit, by desire for the Lord's overtaking of our lives, that all souls will turn from the false gods at their hands, idols that overshadow their spirits, and toward the humility known only in our Savior's blood. Only in Him is life eternal. Pray all souls will come to His love. Amen.
And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Clara jumps in to kick us off. I dated someone who was not Catholic, and ultimately we broke up because of our difference in faith. I have felt a lot of grief in the aftermath, even though I know we ultimately made the right decision. What are some healthy ways that I can use my grief to discern if I have a vocation to married life? Clara, we're all going to take a quick moment to pray for you and everyone experiencing grief in the midst of a breakup, that Christ may come into our hearts and overwhelm us with his peace. Our Father, who art in heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. First off, I want to point out that grief and regret and constantly wondering if we made the right decision is 100% absolutely. It's a complete, a normal reaction to a breakup. And a lot of times it takes a lot of remembering the reasons why we made the decision that we made to help us move forward. Because as time goes by, we can start to have that fade and, and only really remember the good stuff and not remember the things in the moment that led to us making that choice. But just like how it's typically not good to go back through a test and change our answers, we need to work Work on giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt that we made the right choice at the time uh, with the relationship and trust our past self. As to your question, what are some healthy ways you can use your grief to help you discern if you have a vocation to marriage? I would say this. Grief can make us feel and think uh, lots of things we wouldn't feel and think if we weren't grieving. So I would caution everyone, including myself, about making decisions that have the potential to change the course of your life while we're in the midst of grieving. If you feel like you might have a vocation to religious life, I would say prayer and finding a good and holy advisor to help you work through it are big necessities. I think married life is our norm, right? And having a vocation to religious life is something beautiful and dare I start a Twitter war better than marriage for those who are called to it. In the end, I wouldn't let your grief be the one who gets to call the shots on where you might land on the spectrum of marriage versus religious life, but rather I would take a good long look at anything you feel called to, pray about it, ask questions and get answers from people who know and move forward with our prayers. Marin is up next. I just went to confession and left in tears, mostly due to anxiety and panic. How can we find healthy coping skills? And how can we educate our priests and seminarians on how to love both neurotypical and non-neurotypical people in the confessional? This is such a great question, and I know we pray a lot on this podcast, but let's pray for Marin and all of us who felt similarly when walking out of the confessional. Hail, Holy Queen. Mother of mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us. And after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. First off, I am so sorry that you experienced this and had to walk out in so much pain. 
that never should have happened to you. And I'm just so deeply sorry. Let's tackle the how can we educate our priests and seminarians uh, part of your question first. Our priests and seminarians need training. That's it, plain and simple. And I'm really happy to say that I personally know a few priests who are actively getting that training, doing online courses in counseling and mental health, which will be such a blessing. And if that kind of interest and training can spread around to more priests, so much the better. Uh, lastly, the question about healthy coping skills. Here's my thought. I've been to confession so many times and so many times I've been let down. Either I had to get uh, like worked up to confess a big sin only for it to be glossed over by the priest, or the priest gave some kind of worthless advice that made me feel worse, or the priest told me what I confessed wasn't actually a sin or it was just kind of rude. You know, the list of reactions that made me feel terrible kind of go on and on and on. But here's what I've had to work really hard on. To keep in mind that confession is isn't about the priest. It isn't about his reaction. It isn't about his advice. It isn't about if he thinks we're bad or good or any of that. It's about Christ. So a lot of times I say my sins, I bow my head while the priest is talking and kind of half listen, say my act of contrition, receive absolution, and hop on out to do my penance. Now don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm trying to actively ignore the priest, but I'm trying to keep keep a little distance because I've come to realize that confession isn't about the things that end up making me feel bad. All those things I mentioned before, it's just about me and Jesus. Just like how a homily can make me upset, but the mass isn't about the homily. It's about Christ. It's about the Eucharist. Maybe that's too simple of an answer, but know that I'll be praying for you and hoping you find a confessor with a little more compassion, knowledge about the things you mentioned, and that you find peace. Catholic Kitty is back to wrap us up. I attended the Encounter School of Healing this weekend and left halfway through because the instructor emphasized that we shouldn't pray for people to be healed of mental illness such as bipolar and depression, not because those people uh, need professional medical attention, but because they should only be prayed over by special people with deliverance training. Well, I really thought I was going to get this podcast in under the 20-minute mark, but then you had to go and bring this topic up, and now I'm not sure I'll be able to stop talking at all. Uh, in all seriousness, I'm glad you brought this question up because it's sadly a more prevalent idea than we realize. I googled Encounter School of Healing just to show you that I actually do some research before recording the podcast. Their website says, quote, Healing is Jesus' idea. It was essential to the effective proclamation of the gospel during Jesus' ministry, and we are convinced it is one of the missing components to the effective new evangelization of our nation, end quote. It basically looks like a group that goes around and, lots of quotes, heals people by prayer and laying hands on them through the power of the Holy Spirit. So first, I have to say, the Holy Spirit can heal people. The Holy Spirit can work through men and women to bring about that healing. Sure, that does happen. But it doesn't typically happen during a workshop or conference where people are called up on stage in front of an audience to get healed on the spot. Okay, so now that that's out of the way, let me address the message that you heard, that we shouldn't pray for people to be healed of mental illness, such as bipolar and depression. Um, not because people don't need medical attention, but because they should only be prayed over by special people with deliverance training. No. This is wrong. It's ridiculous and it's dangerous. Mental illnesses like depression and bipolar disorder 
are medical illnesses. They aren't a result of demonic possession. They're not the result of a moral or spiritual failing. They are not something that needs someone with deliverance training to be prayed about. Next, we are called to pray for everyone, and God answers all of our prayers. He doesn't look at our prayers and say, Sorry, Tommy, but I'm only going to heal this person if a licensed deliverance healer prays for them, not you. I mean, come on, what kind of view of spirituality is this? I'm glad you walked out. I'm glad your Catholic alarm started going off when you heard this. Yes, people can become possessed by demons, and yes, in that case, a priest— who is given the authority over such matters by a bishop should be called to look into things. But that is not depression. That is not bipolar disorder. These are health issues, not spiritual warfare issues. I don't want to just keep saying the same thing over and over, but let's just leave it at the importance of prayer in the world, the importance of fighting the stigma of mental health symptoms, and the stigma around getting the right kind of help for those symptoms. And let's keep working hard to support everyone as one giant, compassionate community dedicating our lives to getting everyone we meet to heaven. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations. If you'd like me to address them in the future, I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna. <laughs>